Rick Warren, author of Purpose Driven Life and Purpose Driven Church, is quoted as saying that a healthy church is where churches grow warmer through fellowship, churches grow deeper through discipleship, churches grow stronger through worship, churches grow broader through ministry. Churches grow larger through evangelism. This morning, we're going to briefly look at what the early church did and ask ourselves, not are we, not are, only are we doing this, but am I doing what the early church did? It would be too easy to answer on behalf of the church, but what needs to be answered is our own personal response. So let's start at the beginning. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. You see, it was a learning church. It has been said that the very first evidence of the Spirit's presence in the church is that they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. In my mind, I visualize that the Holy Spirit opened up a school in Jerusalem on that day where there were over 3,000 pupils in the nursery. What is more, it reminded me of the street children I came across in India. They sat at the apostles' feet, hungry to receive instructions, hungry to learn more, hungry to be with one another. And as a result of that desire, many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. I wonder if we truly saw God that way. Would we too see such growth in our spirituality and numbers? You see, membership means to be in a fellowship with the apostles. And through this fellowship with them, it is fellowship with the Father and his Son, Jesus. The apostles had been disciples of Jesus and the witness of his resurrection therefore making them the best qualified to be the teachers to the new church. The earlier analogy of a school is quite accurate, as Jesus was a great teacher or rabbi who taught with authority, surrounded by his disciples. And now with Jesus taken away, they took his place. They taught publicly and in the temple. But as with Jesus, their work was both to teach and to do. And this is the normal work of the church. The teaching and preaching go side by side, hand in a glove, or whichever analogy you wish to use. But don't just think the work is down to the preacher. We can all share our personal experiences in our Christian life, as we've done recently with testimonies. We can all witness to others. We can all, with the Holy Spirit's help, tell people of our experience of knowing Jesus. And that is our first challenge. But we need to question our sincerity here. For while the early church trained and educated its members in the Word of God, the church brought its members together constantly, or day by day. No, I'm not suggesting that we gather every day although sometimes it does happen that way. But could we be committed to attending more regular? 
Is it just fatigue that prevents us from coming, or is it something else? Secondly, it was a loving church. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. I wonder if you noticed what I just said. It wasn't that they devoted themselves to regular fellowship. They devoted themselves to the fellowship. You may have seen the word or heard the term koinonia. Sometimes a church is named koinonia, reflecting their purpose, fellowship. Fellowship bears witness to two things in the church. Firstly, it expresses what we share in together, that being God himself, for our koinonia is with the Father and his Son, Jesus Christ. And there is the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, which makes our experience Trinitarian. When I trained for ministry at Regent's Park College, on a Monday evening, we were joined by others who became part of our course. And two of them were Unitarians, someone who does not believe in the Trinity, rather that God is one being. Or they might believe in Jesus, but not as God's son, just a moral teacher. And I just wanted to bang their heads together and say this about Scripture and that about Scripture. And several of my fellow students tried to do the same, but you just could see this glazed look on their faces. They just couldn't comprehend it. But secondly, koinonia also expresses what we share out together, what we give as well as what we receive. It is more than a warm-hearted, brotherly, and sisterly love. It is a fellowship that produces astounding signs and wonders. And now we get to the scary part, where the believers were selling their possessions and distributing them to all as they had in need. So they mean that every spiritual believer and community should follow their example literally. A few miles east of Jerusalem, the Essene leaders of the Qumran community committed themselves to the common ownership of property. According to the Damascus rule, all members of the covenant were obliged to give to the poor and needy and to the stranger, wherever they lived. But if one was to enter the monastic community, they then handed over their property to the bursar. And we are left to consider if the early Christians did imitate them. And should we do today? At different times in church history, some have thought so and done so. And I have no doubt that Jesus still calls some of his disciples, as he did the rich young ruler, to a life of total voluntary poverty. Yet Jesus, nor the apostles, obeyed private property. It is important to note that even in Jerusalem, the sharing of property and possessions was voluntary. According to verse 46, they broke bread in their homes, but not all sold them. But here scholars like to point out that the tense used is imperfect, which indicates that the selling and giving were occasional or in response to particular needs. But what we need to consider is 
that although the selling and sharing are voluntary, every Christian must make careful decisions before God in this matter, as we are called to be generous, especially towards the poor and the needy. Already in the Old Testament, there was a strong tradition for the care of the poor, and the Israelites, they were to give a tenth of their produce to the Levite, the, the alien, the fatherless, and the widow. Deuteronomy 26, verse 12. But then how can spirit-filled believers possibly give less? As John was to write later, if we have material possessions, and we see a sister or brother in need, but do not share what we have with him or her, how can we claim that God dwells within us? Christian fellowship is Christian caring, and Christian caring is Christian sharing. Chrysostom, born 349-407, a Greek archbishop of Constantinople, described this beautifully. He says, this was an angelic commonwealth, not to call anything of theirs their own. Forthwith, the root of all evils was cut out, none reproached, none envied, none grudged, no pride, no contempt was there. The poor man knew no shame, the rich no haughtiness. So here lies the second challenge for us. We have hundreds, if not thousands, of destitute brothers and sisters all around us. And it is our responsibility as spirit-filled believers today to alleviate need and to abolish poverty as followers of Jesus. But it was also a worshipping community. They devoted themselves to the breaking of bread and to prayer. So not only was their fellowship expressed in the caring of each other, but in corporate worship too. And we can be too quick to think that this suggests a reference to the Lord's Supper, for although it most certainly at that early stage is part or was part of a larger meal where prayers were shared. When I was at college, I remember writing an essay on the church at Corinth. I remember that these were significant feasts accompanied by much wine. And Paul was anxious to separate communion from such an event because people were having too much wine. But what we can establish is that it is both formal and informal, for it took place in both the temple courts and in their homes. It is, it is as though they still felt not to abandon the institutional church, if only for prayer services, daily devotions of the temple, unless they took the opportunity outside to preach. We can see that the early church worship was both joyful and reverent, for they are described as having glad and sincere hearts. Literally translated means in exaltation and sincerity of heart. 
You can sense their excitement for since God had sent his son into the world and had now sent them his spirit, they had plenty of reasons to be joyful. And we all know that the fruit of the spirit is joy. However, at the same time, it should also be reverent. And if joy is an an authentic work of the spirit, so is the fear of God. Everyone, including Christians and non-Christians, was filled with awe. So how are we doing? Let's make it personal now. I'm going to ask a few questions to you and to me. Am I caring for others in the church and those around me? Am I entertaining with friends of the church and outside of it? Am I joyful and good company for others? Am I respectful to God? And are my actions Christ-like? But it also was an evangelistic church. So far we have considered the study, the fellowship, and worship of the early Jerusalem church. But this is what Luke records the believers devoted themselves to. But it only tells us about the interior life of the church. It tells us nothing of the compassionate church or the compassionate outreach to the world. If we stopped here, it would be a lopsided picture of church life. So we need to add 47b to reflect this. It says, and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, those first Jerusalem Christians were not so occupied with just learning, sharing, and worshipping that they forgot about witnessing. The Holy Spirit is a missional spirit who created a missional church. In fact, a missionary church. In Harry Beer's book, Pentecost and Missions, he says, Restlessly, the Spirit drives the church to witness and continually rises out of witness. The church is a missionary church. From those earliest believers, we can learn three vital lessons about local church evangelism. First, Jesus did it. We just heard the Lord added to their number. Doubtless he did it by preaching and by witnessing and by such love shared to all those he came across. Secondly, he did what he did was two things together. He added to their number those who were being saved. There is something different. But this is not normal Christianity where people came as and when they please and when they want to. People were literally convicted and committed right from the start. Thirdly, the Lord added people daily. Literally, it translates, kept adding daily. 
the early church's evangelism was not sporadic with occasional missions or outreaches. It was daily. Their praise and preaching were a natural overflow of hearts full of the Holy Spirit. And as their outreach was so continuous, so continuous converts were being added. Something the church of today needs to recover in the expectation of church growth. So how are we doing? How are we faring here? Seeing the empty church seats, we have room for improvement. And we need to ask ourselves, is it because we're too afraid to share our faith? Or are we too embarrassed to talk about Jesus? Or are we too busy in church life or our individual life that we don't just get the chance to socialize with people outside of it? Or perhaps we have not got the joy that the early church first had. But I don't want to dampen what is going on at ABC. The activity here and in our houses demonstrates that we are seeking to serve God. We are addressing the issues spoken about today of listening to and following the teachers of Jesus. We are relating to each other in love and in fellowship, supporting each other and assisting those in need. Like the 120 who had to wait for the Holy Spirit to come, there is no waiting for us. For the Spirit came on that day of Pentecost and has never left the church since. Our responsibility is to humble ourselves before his sovereignty and not to quench him, but to allow him his freedom and to allow him to guide and direct us then the church will arise and attract those who seek biblical teaching, a loving fellowship, living and lively worship, and ongoing evangelism. I look forward to 2022 and seeing us grow together, spiritually and in numbers. And I look forward to people coming back when they feel the time is right for them. But may we continue to serve him in his strength and in his power. Amen.